today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. We are His workmanship. Interesting word in the original language of the Greek New Testament is the word in the Greek poema, where we get our English word for poem. We're His work of art. It's not outward, inward. Outwardly we decay day by day, (laughs) but inwardly we are renewed. He is changing us from the inside out. He is making us more like Jesus. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. Have you ever truly considered how wonderfully made you are? Today, Pastor J.D. wants you to know that you are made in God's perfect image. Give your life to Him and be renewed in your spirit. Your body will fail you, but God never will. Let His creation be a sign of how beautiful and perfect He is to you in your life. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. The simple truth is, and we see this in Scripture in several places, chief of which is in the book of Job, the first chapter. The devil cannot do anything to us unless God allows him to. And God will never allow the devil to do anything to us, bring any calamity upon us, unless in the end it serves His purpose, is for His glory and for our good. Now, the sooner the better, the sooner you can grasp that truth, the better it will be for you, especially when you're in the trial. Because if you don't know that and understand that and grasp that, then you will always question the Lord. You will always question the Lord as to His goodness, His love. You will misinterpret what it is that God is doing by allowing the calamity. And the enemy's right there to reinforce the lie, is the father of lies, to try to deceive you to believe that God is angry with you, that God is punishing you. That's why God is allowing this to happen to you. No, He allows the calamity because it serves a greater purpose. In the New Testament, when Jesus (laughs) says to Peter, man, this would have freaked me out. Because he says to Peter, Peter, um, so Satan asked for permission to sift you as wheat. Now if I'm Peter, I'm, I'm like, you told him no, right Lord? <laughs> no, I, I said it's okay. He had to get permission. Just like Satan had to get permission from God before he could do anything to Job. Couldn't touch him unless God allowed him. Same thing with Peter. 
Satan had to ask me for permission to sift you, to allow calamity to come upon you. And I gave him permission. (laughs) Why, Lord? (laughs) Did I do something wrong? No. It serves my purpose. Because see, you're going to get sifted. And after the sifting, there's an after to that sifting. There's an after to that storm. There's an after to that trial. After you're going to minister to your brothers. Think about that. I'm going to allow the enemy to do this because it's going to be for your good and my glory. And not only that, but it's also going to be a blessing to others. Have you ever thought about it like that? How about when the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church and tells them that we are able to comfort others with the same comfort that we ourselves were comforted with by the Lord. Have you ever thought of it like sometimes God will allow you to go through something so painful because He's going to use you in the life of another who's going to go through a similar experience. And you're going to be there to comfort them and say to them and testify to them, you know, here's what the Lord did for me. He comforted me. He strengthened me. He got me through it. And He's going to get you through it too. And you can encourage them with the encouragement that you yourself were on the receiving end of from the Lord. You can comfort them with the same comfort that you yourself were on the receiving end of from the Lord. This is why. This is why. It's the why behind the what. Verse 8, rain down you heavens from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him, verse 9. Grief, curse, sorrow, woe to him who strives with his Maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. And then he asks this question. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, he has no hands? Wow, this is very poetic. And I think we would do well to really take a closer look at what the Lord wants us to see here. This has to do with, again, questioning the Lord. It's as absurd and comical as the clay questioning the potter. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you making... Stop your clay! You have no right to question the potter. You're clay in the potter's hands. You know that hymn, it's I was going to say, it's my favorite hymn, but it's, all the hymns are my favorite. But this one in particular, because my mom, 
when I was just a kid, actually made me and paid me to sing this in church. And it was hymn number 272 in the hymnal. I still have that hymnal today in my library, the very same hymnal. Page 272, you know what the hymn is? Have thine own way. You know how the words go? I don't want to butcher it or botch it, but it's basically like this. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after your will while I am waiting. And this is the hard part. Yielded and still. Okay, I was okay until the yielded and still part, because see, the potter, and we're all prone to it, is questioned by the clay, and we question the Lord. That's like the clay questioning the Lord. Lord, why are you doing this? Why are you making me like this? Why are you allowing this? That's the equivalent of the clay questioning the potter. But it gets worse than that because there are also those who strive with their maker. So in other words, it's one thing to question the Lord, but it's another thing to fight against the Lord, to strive against the Lord. That's even more absurd. That's not just this clay questioning the potter, it's the clay rising up and striving against the potter, fighting against the potter. I don't like that shape. I want to do a different shape. Why are you making it like that? You're striving against the, (laughs) excuse me, hate to break this to you, but you're clay. I know, shocker, but I'm the potter. (laughs) I'm the one that's in control. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to make you and shape you. And by the way, that is his purpose. That is, again, the why behind the what. Romans 8, 28, we know that God works all things together for the good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. And then verse 29 tells us what his purpose is. His purpose is to make us into the image of Jesus. Have you read the fine print on that lately? He's making us more like Jesus, to be Christ-like. Well, what was Christ-like? Meek, gentle, loving, kind, patient. Does this sound similar to the fruits of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5? He's making us more like Jesus. And that's how he's going to do it. Uh, We're going to read this in Isaiah, but Isaiah, by the Holy Spirit, says he has chosen the furnace of affliction to refine us. Okay, I don't want to be refined. I want to be refined, but I don't want to be refined. I don't want want it to have to be in the furnace of affliction. That sounds like it's going to be very painful and very hot. No, he has to use the furnace of affliction because that's what the potter does with the clay. The potter takes the clay and gets, this is the the painful part, he, he has to get all of the gook out of this vessel that he's creating 
And he takes that clay and he puts it on the potter's wheel and he spins it around at a jillion miles an hour. And those, <laughs> you're, you're thinking about those times in your life when you're going, God, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, you're just on the potter's wheel. Just hang on, because we're going to turn it up a couple more speeds, because there's a couple things i got to do while you're on the wheel. Because see, I'm shaping you now. You, you are? Yeah. What are you going to do? Oh, you'll see. So I'm spinning around at a jillion miles an hour on the potter's wheel, and then God takes his hand and he goes like this. Bam! <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, I'm, that's where the shape comes in. He's shaping me. And then you start noticing that, wow, the wheel's slowing down. Because now he takes you off of that potter's wheel, and he puts you in the kiln, appropriately named. You remember in school when you were doing pottery and, you know, the crafts class? And, and, and here's this furnace of affliction, and they called it the kiln, K-I-L-N. I don't think that's by accident. I think that's very deliberate. God, you're killing me. You're killing me. Because he's turning that heat up. No, I'm refining you. But I have to use the heat. Because see, it's the heat that brings all of the impurities to the surface, like with gold, to be purified. And then the goldsmith takes the dross that's been brought to the surface by the heat, and he removes it. And he knows he has pure gold when he can see his image in that gold. And then I'm like him in his image. And then it gets even better. You know how artists will always put their name on their work? We are his workmanship. Interesting word in the original language of the Greek New Testament is the word in the Greek poema, where we get our English word for poem. We're his work of art. Well, it's not outward, inward. Outwardly we decay day by day, <laughs> but inwardly we are renewed. He is changing us from the inside out. He is making us more like Jesus. And that's how he does it. And then when he's done, he puts his name on his work, his name of ownership. You know, in Revelation, we're going to get, I can't wait. I, I can't wait for my new name. I never liked my name to begin with, but I'm going to get a new name. Because see, in the Middle Eastern culture, you're known by the name of your family, your family name. When a husband and wife gets married, the wife takes the name of the husband. And that's what we're going to do with Jesus. We're going to get a new name. And by the way, this is the ironic blessing of number six. I had no intention of going this far, but just bear with me. This might be an encouragement for you. I know it is for me every time I am reminded of it. But you know the ironic blessing, number six? The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. 
the Lord make His face to shine upon you, the Lord lift up His countenance to you, and give you peace. And by the way, don't put the word may in there. There's not, may the Lord bless you. No, it's a done deal. You have to understand the backstory behind it. God had commanded Moses to have Aaron pronounce this blessing on his people every single time they came to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. So in other words, if you went to church, so to speak, more than once a day, two, three times a day, every time you would go to the tabernacle, you would have this blessing pronounced upon you. The Lord loves you. The Lord's going to keep you. He's not going to throw you away or forsake you. He's going to lift up His countenance to you. You know what that means? He's, his, his, he's, he's smiling. He's not frowning at you, angry at you. No, He's smiling. And He's going to give you peace. When you look through that ironic blessing, oh, it is. That's, in other words, God wanted His people to know that He's a blessing God, that He wants to bless them. He wants to give them peace. He wants to lift His countenance upon them. We had, when the boys were really young, I'm sorry, I can't resist, we, I, I think my wife would not take credit for this, developed a rap song that we taught our boys. This is how it goes. The Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you and give you peace and give you peace. This is why they're so traumatized la later in life, I think, maybe. But and, and I did it all the time. I mean, when they were really young. I'm changing their diapers. I'm, I'm pronouncing the ironic blessing on them in a rap. They have clinical terms for this, I'm sure, but whatever. In other words, he wanted them to know this and hear this all the time, every time. And then, that's not all, because it doesn't stop there. After this blessing was pronounced, he says, I'm going to put my name on them. Now in our culture, we miss the significance of that. It is profound. Because to say to someone, I'm going to put the name of God on you, is the highest blessing you could possibly pronounce on someone. Growing up as a kid, my mom in Arabic would say, I'm going to say Yeshua. She used Allah because in Arabic it's synonymous with God, but it's not Jehovah. <laughs> so I've changed it. Ism Yeshua Alek. In other words, it was a blessing pronounced, the name of Jesus is upon you. That's the highest blessing you can ever pronounce on someone, is to pronounce the name of Jesus upon them, the name of God. I'm going to put my name on you. And that's what he wanted them to do. And here we are, the clay, going, what are you doing? Just be clay. You'll see, I'm not through. Faithful is he who began that work to complete it. Verse 10, woe again, grief, sorrow, a curse to him 
who says to his father, what, what are you begetting? Or to the woman, what have you brought forth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You command me. I have made the earth, verse 12, and created man on it. I, my hands, stretched out the heavens and all their host I have commanded. I can't help but notice, and maybe you noticed it too, but the strength in what God is saying here. In a sense, what he's saying and repeating and reinforcing is, you have no right to question how or why I do what I do. I am God. I, with my hands, I stretched out the heavens. And you? I created you. It's akin to someone saying to his parents, what are you doing? Why are you giving birth to me? What? How absurd is this? How much more so when it comes to the Lord, our God, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 13, I have raised him up in righteousness, again speaking of Cyrus, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and let my exiles go free, not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts, which was what they would do in that day. Thus says the Lord, verse 14, the labor of Egypt and merchandise of Cush and of the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and they shall be yours. They shall walk behind you. They shall come over in chains and they shall bow down to you. They will make supplication to you saying, surely God is in you and there is no other. There is no other God. In other words, they're going to witness this, see Cyrus do this. This is impossible, unthinkable, inconceivable. And yet when he does it, they're going to say, wow, it had to be God. It had to be God. There is no other God. Verse 15, truly you are God who hide yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior They, verse 16, shall be ashamed and also disgraced, all of them. They shall go in confusion together. Who are we talking about here? Oh, those who are makers of idols. Oh yeah. But, verse 17, Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. Notice everlasting Israel forever and ever. This is reminiscent of a covenant that God has with Israel that is forever and ever. It's an everlasting covenant. 
Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. We hope you continue to be encouraged as you learn some good things from the book of Isaiah. Did you realize that there are 39 chapters in Isaiah that address judgment and 27 chapters that point to God's salvation? How fascinating that this book relates to 39 books of the Old Testament, much about judgment of sin, and 27 books of the New Testament, pointing to Jesus as God's salvation for the world. Isaiah is yet another example of how God interweaves the old with the new, and how prophecies from old point to fulfillment of that later. Are you seeing the connections that God has written into these pages of Isaiah? If you're wanting to hear this message again or more like it, you can find them at calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can learn more about the church this ministry is supported by, Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. If you're not already plugged into a local church, we invite you to be part of our church family. If you're in or near the Kaneohe area, we'd love for you to come visit us on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's calvarychapelkaneohe.com. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from the book of Isaiah. We look forward to the next edition with Pastor J.D. and the things that God has put on his heart to share from this prophetic book. Thanks again for listening today to In Spirit and Truth. Holy.